is this Neyman podcast. It's Lula Mendesin and today we are going to do something a bit different. Um, I had promised this uh, video like a long time ago, like uh, when I watched um, The Matrix uh, December, but uh, I, I couldn't do like a, a real reaction because I wanted to do like a reaction of someone reacting to the movie because I noticed a lot of reviews like are bashing this movie and from my side, I didn't think the movie was as bad as people say it is. I think it was just okay. And uh, considering the circumstances, you know, with COVID, reshoots and all of that, they actually did a decent job, according to me anyways. But a lot of people had a problem with it. And I didn't quite understand why would they have a problem with this movie. I mean, like some of the criticisms, like... They're pretty crazy, and I don't really agree with them. But anyways, we're going to react to uh, one content creator from uh, YouTube. Uh, his name is A Closer Look. So if you want to go to his channel and just watch the... Um, I think I'm going to pay, play the whole thing, even though it might be way too long, because this video is already like 28 minutes. So, But I'm going to go to the main points that I think, you know... Um, uh, uh, to be like uh, disputed in a way so yeah so let's get into the video i'm gonna criticize him as <laughs> much as possible because some of his points i don't really quite agree uh, with them so let's get into it actions is what you get when you put the original matrix into google translate convert it to polish and then convert it wait, wait, wait. Uh, i think i skipped the intro L let me just yeah the intro Matrix Resurrections is what you get when you put the original Matrix into Google Translate, convert it to Polish, and then convert it back. It is nothing but a worse version of the original film where almost nothing new is added and almost everything is regurgitated. Yeah, that's the thing I said. A lot of people kind of expected this movie to be like a continuation uh, of the original, the first one. So that's the first thing. If you get your mind out of the whole notion that, oh, this is like a, a sequel, sequel, then you'll be fine. Cause, but if you think like it's a hundred percent, because it's a sequel at the same time, it's a reboot. So you are stuck in those two worlds. Because um, like the whole movie, I have to admit, uh, spoilers for you, for people who haven't watched it. They don't really say any new concepts in a way. Like there's only one new concept. Uh, there's nothing really new. That's what I'm saying. This movie is like a, a soft reboot rather than like a sequel. We need to get out of that whole thinking that it's a sequel. It's not really a sequel. It's a reboot. Don't believe me. Here's the plot of Matrix Resurrections. Let me know if any of it feels a tad familiar to you. We begin with an action scene showing Trinity escaping a bunch of agents. We then follow Neo going about his everyday life, but feeling something's... Okay, we all know the premise of the Matrix, so let me just uh, skip to the next point. So next to you, if you can copy theirs, to which they reply, all right, but change enough of it so it isn't too obvious. That analogy is the Matrix Resurrections in a nutshell. And there's something quite interesting here, as it's precisely because of this that the pacing for the first 50 minutes of the movie is unbearably slow. And I know that's an odd connection to make, but give me a second and it'll make more sense. I believe the thing that makes for a compelling plot is unpredictability, where the plot constantly makes unexpected twists and turns, but at the same time, every last twist feels intuitive. Perhaps 
Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, he is right about that. Um, I, I think the movie, The Matrix, was too predictable. Um, most of the things that were happening, like, uh, they were not really shocking. I think, like, the first 15 minutes, as he mentioned, were kind of unpredictable. You would, like, um, want to really know what's really going on in the movie. But as soon as it hits, like, uh, the 30-minute mark, you're like, okay. Like, like, like you, I wasn't really having any expectations uh, I don't think I was like nervous that uh, there's something that will happen to Neo at any point. It was kind of straightforward. Like there was nothing shocking, uh, you know, unpredictable or something that will, you know, <laughs> shock you in a way. The side character has their motivation, but then they do something totally unexpected. However, when they do it, it only makes sense to us because it's still in line with their motivation, just in an unforeseen way. I believe that's the essence of good plotting, being unpredictably intuitive. And as a consequence of Matrix Resurrections being mostly a carbon copy of the first, the moment we first see Neo going through his boring life, we know Morpheus is going to give him a talk at some point. We know Neo is going to wake up and one of those tanks in the real world yeah yeah okay first point like i have to like agree with him um it's kind of predictable so yeah we can uh skip that point and go to the next point But to give credit where it's due, Resurrections does have something fresh to say. Uh, it is no secret that Lana Wachowski is trans, and what's quite clear to me at least is the whole film is an allegory for what it's like to go through transitioning. And I know some of you are already typing comments which disagree with this interpretation. But... Okay, so Lana Wachowski is one of the Wachowski sisters. She's basically had a transition. Uh, she was a guy and now uh, she's a female. So like uh, the whole movie is about that transition. That's only natural, seeing as everyone sees different meanings to a work, but think about it. You've got Neo feeling like he's being his inauthentic self. He expresses that, and then the analyst, the symbol for the system at large, tells him his doubts are wrong, and he's exactly how he should be as is. I am sure that when Wachowski wrote that scene, she was channeling her own life experience as to what it felt like when she first voiced her doubts about her identity, and people dismissed them. To give credit, from a thematic point of view, this film is unique and has a lot to say, which is more than you can say for most Hollywood movies. But, and it's a big but, while this theme is interesting, theme alone is not enough to sustain a story. At least not enough for the vast majority of cinema goers who don't mind a good theme, but also want fascinating characters, great world view. Okay, okay, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because, like, if you have, like, a really good theme, it's so annoying that if you underutilize the theme or the plot or the story. So, uh, I was watching uh, The Adam Project. Oh, man, that movie is such a waste. <laughs> it's such a waste of a theme. Damn. Like, if uh, I were to go back in the past and meet my younger self, like, how many things can you do with that concept or with that theme? Like, how many things can you do with that concept? Okay, theme and concept, uh, maybe I might be confusing them a bit, but they are probably almost the same thing. But anyways, yeah, 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 the theme is pretty crucial to the movie. So, but let's move on. Building an exciting plot. And if we are to talk about the ideas explored in Matrix 4, I simply can't cover this angle without mentioning how this film didn't just break the fourth wall, it pulverized it. 
There was a moment near the beginning of this movie where I was getting compelled by the story, uh, when Neo meets Trinity, can't remember her, and they have this awkward handshake, and it had me, I'm, I'm not sure why precisely, but I was beginning to care about Neo's journey here. The film had me absorbed, and then in the very next scene, Smith says this. I'm sure you can understand why our beloved parent company, Warner Brothers, has decided to make a sequel to the trilogy. One. And the tiny bit of investment that last scene had built up, my immersion, this line brought it all Okay, the fourth wall. So, um, this is the thing that most people don't really understand about this movie. Um, I think this movie um, did something that most movies haven't done. Like, okay, breaking the fourth wall is nothing fancy, but think about this. The Matrix is about breaking the fourth wall. If you can actually get out of the matrix, you can actually see what's really going on. So kind of like the fourth wall is a thing that the matrix needed to do because it became really interesting to think about it from a point of view of the producers, the writers. Because now in this movie, Neo is like um, a game developer and all of that. Now he feels like he's trapped. And the game that is developing is called The Matrix. And everyone is playing into this whole theme that, okay, this movie producers, like in real life, they want um, writers, you know, directors to redo a movie, but people don't actually, the producers or the writers or the developers or whoever doesn't really want to do the movie or the game. They don't want to do a fourth movie. And the Matrix itself, the Matrix Resurrection, is like really playing into that. Okay, we are making another game. It's called The Matrix. The producers want us to make. So, okay, a lot of people might have a problem with that. But The, the Matrix, the movie is actually doing something that most movies have never done. Like, they're actually playing into the whole concept of uh, doing more and more sequels. And they're really, um, there are parallels to the a game that they're actually developing or rather uh, Neo is developing in the movie. So like, I don't really get the gripe why most people have a problem with that. I think it's kind of genius. <laughs> I think it's kind of genius when you actually look at it because it's really drawing parallels between the real life, the matrix in itself, you know, uh, they want them, they want Neo to do, to uh, develop a game, which is the fourth game. And also, you know, it, it's quite really fascinating. According to me, anyways, a lot of people disagree. Crumbling down. Yes, Wachowski was being all very clever with her meta-commentary on how unnecessary the sequel is. Yes, this is the kind of movie that pretentious video essayists, like me, love to analyse because of all the messages and meanings behind it. But these jabs at the studio, while being great video essay material, are not worth the price Wachowski paid for their inclusion because they also ruin any and all immersion the audience may have. And these moments of extreme meta-ness, they happen consistently throughout the film, bringing the audience out of the experience on an annoyingly regular basis. Yeah, so, yeah, it's basically right. I mean, like, the producers play into it, and as I said, a lot of people won't be, like, you know, won't really like that. Um, he's one of the people who doesn't really like what's really happening. So, but anyways, yeah, uh, that point, do you get it? So, let's move on. Found the video essay scene. 
and it's one I disagree with. It's that if a movie cashes in on nostalgia, that's bad. Like, if you ask me, this is dead wrong, because nostalgia, when it's done right, is nothing but icing on the cake. It, it is nothing but good. However, there's a trick to doing nostalgia right. You have to treat it like a spice, like a little something extra you throw in to enhance an already well-done scene. This is the main mistake all of these reboots and sequels are making these days with nostalgia. Instead of treating it like a nice little extra, they make it the substance of the scene. And just like snuffing a handful of cinnamon powder, it doesn't exactly make for a satisfying meal. Okay, yeah, I do get that. Because, like, I think The Matrix is so mainstream now. Because back then, when they were doing, like, uh, they were making the first movie of The Matrix... They could literally do anything because they were doing it for a certain audience, you know, an audience that was into Dragon Ball Z, cyberpunk, you know, uh, anime and all of that. So they kind of knew their audience. This is These are the people that we're doing the Matrix for. So no matter how complicated, no matter how convoluted, the people that are actually watching this, the, thing, the movie that we're making, we're making it for this same audience. So now... From 2000 until now, I mean, like, 1999 until now, like, The Matrix is so mainstream. So I think that's another reason they brought back Smith. Because Smith, a lot of people knew Smith. Oh, Smith, oh, my God, like, ah, Smith. And Smith has a lot of fans. A lot of people kind of, like, like Smith more than Neo from the movies. So they kind of, like, gravitate towards him. So I kind of understand uh, why the producers or writers actually brought smith back even though they didn't really need to bring him back i think that's the one thing that i can agree with most criticisms like why did they have to bring him back i mean they could have come up with a new villain you get what i mean so if uh, the matrix has a lot of nostalgic moments like things that, that we keep on we keep on getting where we are reminded of what really happened in the past uh, you know, Smith, when he's, you know, staying in the window, as they're saying, uh, he was staying there, you know, the real world, blah, 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 you know, those things. So I kind of think that they kind of overdid it, um, especially for audiences that really understand the Matrix. For for people who, you know, an ordinary individual, they'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, the Matrix, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Smith, yeah, you know, so they are kind of, I think they did it for the mainstream audience way too much. That's why there are a lot of uh, nostalgic moments right there. So, but anyways, uh, yeah, let's move on. To get revenge. And then the scene ends on a smiling Miravangian coming out of the shadows, finally being revealed. And then he's a minor secondary villain from then on, and Neo's got to contend with him, feeding into the main plot. That is how you do nostalgia. That would have been a way better use of the character. But, sadly, this mishandling of legacy characters, it's much more pervasive than this one cameo. And this leads us to what I think is one of the weakest points of this whole movie. Agent Smith. So, why did Wachowski include Smith in this film? Her reasoning was simple. Agent Smith was a great character in the originals, therefore he must be in the reboot. And that thought is... Fine, actually. Uh, it's the same kind of thought as, well, Han Solo was a great part of the original Star Wars, so we've got to bring him back for the new ones. But 
Crucially, while it's a fine thought, it doesn't go far enough, because you've got to also ask the question, how can I ensure they play a crucial role in the story, just like with Merovangian? As I imagine, the real Smith might say, they must serve purpose, and the more purpose, the better. Perhaps they cause the inciting incident, or greatly influence the protagonist's arc, or anything, really, so long as... <coughs> okay, another thing is that uh, the Merovingian, right? So, I, I didn't really have a problem in uh, them bringing him back on. Because, like, the scene that he has, uh, he was talking about, you know, uh, Facebook and how, like, he, they were doing, like, uh, you know, social commentary on Facebook. We're always online uh, and all of that. I, th I think it was actually uh, good. I think I don't really have much opinion about it because they actually did some. That's all. Like I mean, this movie is like a social commentary, like, uh, but not really on social commentary, but on movies on how many movies, uh, how many sequels are coming out and all of that. So, but anyways, um, let's move on from that point. Stopping us from knowing them as well as we would have those initial three. If you ask me, the former is you. Yeah, so like everything that's happening you right now. Like, IT pro, so you uh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, adverts. I don't have premium. Sorry about that. So, but anyways, let me just uh, try to skip this tools. advert like Remote real quick. Usually, uh, the best approach, and the latter is what Matrix Resurrections did. Wachowski throwing in all of these classic characters without much thought is something that reflects a major writing lesson I only learned in the past month. Uh, it's in a lot of my videos, and especially one I did on June, I gave you guys some really bad advice. I am making an apology video where I basically break down why that Dune essay was really not very well done, and how it taught me that my entire philosophy around storytelling is wrong. Uh, if it isn't out already, it should be soon, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But the essence of this really important lesson I finally learned is, are you adding in this midpoint because your story is stagnating? If so, that's great, because you're demonstrating understanding of why midpoints are used. Or are you throwing in that midpoint for no other reason than you're blindly following the three-act structure? If so, including this element might be totally unnecessary, and it may be making your story worse. In past videos, I have preached all about these formulas that you must adhere to, but I now realise you should be very cautious of formulas in storytelling where you're given boxes to tick, because in doing that, you may be so focused on ticking each box that you aren't stopping to ask, does this story even need I won't go into any more detail here because that aforementioned apology video will be going into this topic with way more detail. Uh okay, but anyways, speaking a lot of uh, you know about writing and all of that. But in conclusion, besides the complaints that he raised, you know, um, legacy characters, um, you know, the story itself is a repetition of uh, the first Matrix movie. And another thing that a lot of people complain about it's the choreography, like. Okay, that one you cannot really complain about, bro. Like, <laughs> like, did you see the choreography in the first Matrix? I mean, like, which movie can top that? Like, because, <laughs> like, according to me, uh, throughout the years, I thought, okay, uh, if they were to make a fourth Matrix, Matrix movie, there is no way that movie can be, like, as good as the old ones. I mean, the second Matrix movie, you know, the, the freeway... Um, the freeway scene where, you know, they're shot by agents, you know, every agent is, you know, changing there. There's a truck, blah, blah, and the uh, uh, Neo is flying. And, you know, he 
captures like the 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 Keymaker and Morpheus at the same time, last minute, blah, blah. That was pretty awesome. And that scene, they actually built that whole freeway by themselves. I mean, like nowadays, people don't put in that much effort. Like, okay, it's an effort thing, but I didn't think they would do something like that. Something as awesome as the first Matrix. It's impossible nowadays. Like, um, I've been telling a lot of people that nowadays, like, um, the movies that are like, you know, uh, takeaways, like a takeaway meal, you know, is a standard. You put this, you put this, you put this, you put this. Like, you don't experiment with the meat. You cannot experiment. You need to put in the standardized uh, food, the, you know, the patty, the, the lettuce, whatever. It's, it's like there's, um, how should I uh, call it? Like when they are, you know, packaging cars and, you know, the streamline of cars and all of that. It's basically a plant, yeah. It's basically a plant of movies. They package movies in that way. They don't um, uh, sit with the movie, like, you know, write a perfect script. They don't take their time. Uh, it's just that, oh, the movie needs to come out in a year. Like this movie, for example, The Matrix Resurrections. I bet they had like, okay, we need... Uh, this movie within a year we need this 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 uh, this and that i need you need to adhere to those all those things i mean there are few directors that uh, can do whatever they want nowadays you know christopher nolan he can do whatever he wants uh once uh quentin quentin tarantino he can do whatever he wants but it's quite limited you get what i mean so i didn't expect uh, the wachowskis to come up with like a masterpiece in fact this movie that we got was pretty good but the one thing that I think a lot of people are criticizing this movie for is the last scene, uh, uh, sort of like the last scene or the last part of the scene, or of the the last part rather, where actually Neo can fly and then uh, Trinity is the one flying. I didn't see a problem with that, but a lot of people have a problem with that because um, they assume or think or yeah, that's what they're thinking that Hollywood is trying to replace the male actors with the female actors, uh, actresses, which I kind of think is true uh, to some extent. You know, uh, Loki was replaced by a female Loki. Uh, Thor is coming, the movie, Thor, Love and Thunder. There's a female Thor. Um, uh, the, yeah, a lot of movies, man, a lot of series. Uh, we find our characters, main characters are, are being replaced by female characters in a way or have a sidekick or a female sidekick or a female version of themselves, which is the case uh, with The Matrix. Because uh, when Neo was, uh, you know, was found out to be the one, it, it kind of made sense to me because like Neo and Trinity, like they are one thing. No one can live with that without the other. You can see it's been like an underlying theme. They cannot live separate to one another. And... Um, the Oracle also said it. Even though she didn't say they are meant to be together, she said uh, Trinity will end up with Neo, with the one. So I think a lot of people uh, on the internet, uh, they've been hating the, on this movie for that reason. It, it's quite an, uh, an easily to hate movie. You can hate on this movie quite easily because you'd compare it with the first uh, Matrix movie. Even this even though this one is a reboot, so you cannot really criticize criticize it and compare it to the old one. So I think that's what most people have a problem with. Oh my God, Hollywood, you know, the agenda, female characters are being, you know, shoehorned into uh, lead roles that are, you know, predominantly men roles and all of that. But yeah, I guess we, we should just I, I agree with that. Even though uh, it's the whole thing I've been talking about, um, 
when it comes to black characters like or like black people you can complaining about oh we need more black representation blah 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 you cannot really get proper black representation if the people that you want to represent you are not of your skin color or would understand uh, a character like yours or the perfect character for you know whatever movie you want to be out there like a black character so at the end you need to make your own movies the same as females i think females uh, need to have like um like you know like sports they have their own genre they should have a hollywood specifically for females uh, that can make their own movies make their own characters come up with new concepts you know uh, that's when they'll come up with original characters because at the moment they're just taking uh, male characters and making them female or uh, yeah, something like that. So, but anyways, uh, that's the review that I always wanted to do. This is a really long <laughs> podcast episode, but I really hope you enjoyed. If you have opinions, I don't know where you can comment because there's no comment section here. But wherever you can catch me, it's Lula Manderson on all social uh, media platforms, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, I still have Facebook, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but anyways, catch you on the flip side. It's Lula Manderson, the name man podcast. For now, shop shop.